The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. All right, welcome into the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Real quick before we dive into this podcast, if you are not a Duck Territory subscriber, or if you are, more importantly, if you are, uh, you can go and activate your CBS All Access membership for free. By subscribing with us, you get free membership to CBS's streaming platform. 10,000 plus shows, you get movies, you have commercials free streaming, which is tremendous. You get access to live sports, including the NFL. Uh, unbelievable deal. Comes at a value of $99.99 a year. You get that free with your membership with us to DuckTerritory.com. So I highly encourage you guys to jump on. Activate that. We've got something on the site on the front page. Click the 10 reasons to subscribe. That will help you get set up. And if you aren't a member of DuckTerritory.com, that in of itself uh, is worth the cost of admission. Uh, by subscribing to us, you get two different memberships. You get one with us. You get all your Oregon Duck football, all your basketball, all your recruiting, everything Oregon-related news right on your phone, your tablet, your computer, whatever. And then on top of that, you get CBS All Access streaming. So highly encourage you to also take up on that offer. Now, Eric, no football this weekend. So how are – any plans, any enjoyment, anything fun for you? How are you spending your football last weekend for, you know, the last time in a couple, couple weeks? Well, I uh, there's this women's basketball game that's going on on Saturday yes, that yes, some yes. of these listeners might, might be aware of. We talked about it at length on uh, Thursday's show, but – the uh, U.S. Uh, women's national team will be in town, and, and I will be at that, uh, taking that in. It's, it's also my mom's birthday, so uh, that's going to be a little celebration for uh, Mama Scopo. She, she wanted to go to go to the game to kind of celebrate, so that's part of what we're doing, and then uh, and then some other stuff after. So uh, it's going to be a little different Saturday, and I must say it feels weird not driving to Otson or being in a different location altogether preparing for a football game. But uh, it'll be fun and then excited to kind of get back in the swing of things the next week when Arizona comes to town for a game that I think uh, strangely like doesn't really excite me much right now. But I think the closer we'll get, it'll be a little bit more intriguing. Yeah, I've got men's basketball Saturday night after the women's game. Um, I'm going to gonna watch some football this weekend as well. Uh, I'm kind of alone, though, like. My, my family picked like, it's kind of like the, the best and worst at the same time. Uh, best in that I'm off. I've got a lot of free time. I got a, a lot of mat time for me. Uh, but at the same time, my family's all gone. They, they picked a vacation, uh, in which originally I was like, I probably can't go. It's the opening weekend college basketball. There's probably going to be a game, maybe two, maybe even three, depending on the dates that we're all going to be gone. 
you're gonna have to go without me and they left so i'm in this house by myself and a cat that does not like me and uh it's gonna be interesting <laughs> it's gonna be interesting times well good luck man i hope the cat uh, i hope you and the cat both make it out of the weekend alive that'd be, that'd be a, <laughs> i call that a victory I, it's it's funny i don't know about you um and we're gonna get to the show but i don't know to. about you I, I do a lot of the cooking in our house Dang. but when the wife is gone it's like my desire to cook completely goes out the window and I had I had uh, a salad for lunch, takeout salad, which I could have easily made at my house yesterday. I had uh, takeout dinner yesterday. I'm going to meet a friend for lunch tonight. I'm going to go have to take uh, another friend for dinner tonight, and then I'm imagining I'll be doing you know have a salad again probably. Uh, but my cooking decreases when when everyone leaves. I don't know why. It's just like freedom. I get to just openly go out and eat out and not have to worry about spending money i guess yeah i don't i don't i i must say that i uh, i think the you same don't thing relate happens. to that no i do i do i, I think I, I i same as you i think our jobs kind of allow it that we do have the opportunity to do a little bit more of the the cooking since we're at we're at home all the time and yeah i i spend most of my time doing that as well and and frankly even when uh, i live with my fiance even when she is uh, at home on the weekend, uh, I end up doing most of the cooking then. So uh, I, I, I look forward to the time when I'm not doing most of the cooking. Although I, I do enjoy it, so I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. She's gonna listen to this podcast and, and be like, "Wow, you didn't tell me that face to face. You just told a bunch of Oregon fans on a podcast." But such is life. <laughs> eh, at least yours listens to the show. Mine does not. <laughs> now we digress. Uh, we've digressed plenty enough on this show. Um, we're gonna go through the injuries first and foremost. Mario Cristobal spoke with. The, the media on Wednesday, I was there. Um, I asked the question, just kind of the status of a bunch of guys. And more or less, the injury bug, if you will, for Oregon, not all that necessarily present. You know, uh, Verdell against USC in the second half did not play uh, because he was nicked up. But Cristobal said that it was nothing serious long-term wise. He just was very limited in what he could do, and they felt like the hot hands were were Die and Felix that week. Um, both those guys had had done well enough in in place of Verdell that they just did never put him back out there. Uh, expectation is is that he will be back healthy, and I would assume starting against Arizona uh, next weekend. <clears throat> As for uh, Cyrus Habilakio, he said he had kind of a a quad injury pop up um, into the middle of the week. And while he could play on special teams and he did, uh, his availability and his mobility was just not enough for the running back position. And they just kind of kept him safe. And, but just like Verdell, uh, Oregon should be totally fine with Cyrus to be the Keo uh, and his ability to play uh, for Arizona should be back. Dallas Warmack was one that I don't know if a lot of Duck fans really realized um, as the game played on. He he didn't start, and then it was he just never got on, in in the football game. He didn't play. Um, I, I don't think I even realized that until after the, the game was over and Same. we were looking at the box scores. Um, I was just kind of surprised. Oh, Warmack never even got in. Uh, Cristobal said he suffered – um, an injury against Washington State on the game-winning field goal, and all week it was 50-50 if he was going to play, and it just did not progress well enough 
for them to feel comfortable throwing him out there against USC until he sat out. Now, obviously, it didn't matter because uh, Brady Aiello, the, the, the starting uh, right tackle, backup senior senior right tackle backup, he started at right guard in his place, uh, and basically, you know, it was it was pretty good. You know, I think Oregon's offensive line played played well in that game. They didn't run the ball for a ton. Uh, a ton, you know, two over, you know, they, I think they, they went for like 130 or 140, but at the same time, you know, passing game was, was clicking. So they didn't have to, have to run the ball as much. And outside of that, there's really not much injury, you know, injury news for this Oregon basketball or Oregon football team, which is really, really good and well received news, especially out of bye week. Uh, but there will be some guys held out or one guy at least. That we know of in, in Nick Pickett because of his uh, ejection against USC. I think the, the other thing that's worth noting is there are a couple of true freshman receivers, Lance Wilhoy and, and J.R. Waters, have not been practicing fully, from what we understand, because kind of we haven't been able to watch practice since fall camp. But they haven't been practicing for a very long time. It sounds like they're getting closer to being available and. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we see them, if there's a game here in the next couple of weeks where it's kind of out of hand, if we see one of those guys get on the field. Because um, Cristobal kind of intimated that they're, they're kind of getting close to that being a possibility. And, again, I don't think either guy is going to be a difference maker. I don't think they're going to be a guy that, like, pushes Jawan Johnson out of, out of the lineup or anything or, you know, move, you know, takes reps from all those guys. But just something to keep an eye on. And, and you, you might see a Lance Wilhoyd or a Jared Waters here or there, you know, in the, la- in the last month of the season. Um, if the situation arises, both guys are, I think, pretty clearly going to redshirt this year, um, given that they've, you know, they've missed the first nine games. But also, kind of worth noting, those two guys' possibility of, of being available at, at some point uh, in the month of November, and, and obviously maybe in December and into January, if things play out that way for Oregon. Um, we should, know, yeah, I, I would 100% expect those guys at some point to get on the football field, and there's and there's going to be a couple others too that will. You know, see the field a little bit more than, than maybe they've normally done it, um, just because of the opportunity to have a game in which, look, the reality is, is Oregon should blow out Arizona, they should blow out Oregon State, and there's a good chance that they blow out Arizona State. And so for the final three regular season games of the year, if, if you're a guy that's going to redshirt and you have not played in your four games, there's a good chance that at some point in junk, uh, the last three games of the year, you're going to, you're going to see the field. You know, it's pretty positive. It's pretty likely that's going to happen. Um, I'd be pretty shocked if all three of those games do not end up, uh, it, it, you know, as blowouts. It, it'd be, I'd be blown away if at least one of them is not a blowout game. Um, right. Nick Pickett's in, Nick Pickett is out for the first half against Arizona. Uh, Mario also was very extensive of they are not pleased with what Austin Folio did uh, to get ejected in the first half of the football game at USC. Um, he said it's him and handled in house. Doesn't sound like necessarily a suspension, but maybe there is. I, I don't know. He, uh, that's just me speculating. I did ask if, if, you know, how, how did they handle it? And he said it's handled in house and they've made it very evidently clear to him that, uh, what he did is not allowed, but it's now up to Oregon to choose if he is available or not because it happened in the first half and not the second. He will be eligible to play uh, in, in the Arizona game uh, in its entirety. Uh, it's now just in, in the hands of Oregon. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if maybe he misses a quarter or, or, or something, but it also would be totally understandable if you know he, he's, a, he's available from the, from the get-go to play. 
and I think that touches on something I think we also wanted to talk on in this podcast, which was penalties in general, and not not just to single out Pickett or Falu, because obviously those two penalties were very costly, and along with a, just a slew of penalties that were really a problem against USC. But you know, to have two players ejected in one game is frankly, I'm sure I'm sure Mario's a little embarrassed about that outcome. I'm sure you know I don't. That's not the way he wants his program to be run. And we mentioned it, and I'm going to have a story up on the side of a Scopal system, so it'll be a VIP read, but. Um, later on Friday, I mean, you might, it, you'll probably be up around the time this, it ends up on, uh, on the website as well. But, uh, the penalty numbers have just picked up at such a incredible rate recently. I mean, I was looking through it and, and Oregon, you know, barely had personal foul or unsportsmanlike conduct penalties at all for the first four games of the season. In fact, they had no more than seven penalties in any of those games and those penalties, you know, in terms of just a game yardage. Uh, it only accounted for at most 58 yards, and that was against Auburn, and just three first downs in four games from penalties. And then those numbers have just skyrocketed. You know, with the exception of the Washington game, where it was pretty clean, just three for 30. Um, Colorado, 10 for 119. There were six first downs by Colorado on Oregon defensive penalties. Four of those were on pass interference calls. And if you remember those calls, some of them probably weren't pass interference to begin with, so you can kind of debate that. But they still flags and they still count on the official stat sheet. And then against Washington State, nine for one hundred. And against USC, twelve for one fifty-seven. Um, this has got to be one of those things that, and I know we talked about it on uh, earlier in the week on either Monday or, or the show after the game on Saturday. But like that has to be something that is is focused on because again, like this is a team that was hardly committing any personal foul or unsportsmanlike penalties or targeting calls or any, roughing the pass or those kind of those kind of penalties. And suddenly, and because the first three or four games, it was mostly just like, okay, a false start here, maybe offsides, maybe a holding call. You know, penalties you can live with. Penalties that are, you know, they're, they're, they're silly mistakes, but they're not a guy going out there and doing something he shouldn't be doing. And, and now you see those penalties kind of piling up. And I think that has to be a concern. Um, and, and you're, you're right that, that, um, Cristobal's response to your question about follow you, you could tell, you could just read it in his face. He was kind of like, yeah, I don't, <laughs> Not that he didn't like your line of questioning, but he's kind of going like, man, I wish I didn't have to be answering this line of questioning because I wish we weren't in this situation to begin with. Yeah, his, his exact, uh, his exact comment after he, he went through his rant was, now you got me all fired up. Last (laughs) question, he got me all fired up. And that was, that was not my intent. Uh, I was just trying to get some information, just doing (laughs) my job. I don't think he had any issues with that, but you know, sometimes you could tell that, you know, there's, he was not happy with how that how that played out. So uh that's kind of where we're at in terms of injuries and suspensions. You know, Troy Dye is still dealing with his, his hand, thumb, um, but he obviously played. Uh there's the usual Nixon bumps that guys are gonna have, but for the most part, you know, it started off rocky. This yeah. year started off rocky with injuries, but really, yeah, really rocky. as the season's gone on and has played through you know, a couple guys have gone down, Jacob Breland and, and Gus Cumberlander. Um, <clears throat> as the season's gone on though, like, for the most, for the most part, relatively, and I use air quotes for the most part, you know, they've stayed healthy. And this bye week is, I think this bye week was huge because you went through a gauntlet of five straight games. You played California and then you played Colorado and then Washington, Washington State and USC. And, that's difficult, but in particular, those three of the those last three, those are grueling because there's the rivalry aspect of Washington. It's a physical football game. It's on the road. 
you you want to win against your rival. That that's a grueling game. And then the, the following week have to play a completely different style of football team in Washington State and an, an opponent in which no one on Oregon's roster up until that point had won against uh and had kind of morphed into another rivalry, you know, another another drag them out you know, slugfest. And then you go down the the next week after that, you have to go back down on the road and you have to go to USC in which clearly there was a lot of, I don't want to say hostility, but a lot of, you know, hype and emotion on that football field between those two teams. And that's another just grueling aspect. And so uh, this bye week has come at a perfect time because of, all the rigors that this team has had to go through, especially the last three weeks, to get a reprieve from that and just have a chance to just catch your breath and just be away from the grind of a football game uh, can can really rejuvenate, I think, this team and, and get, get them into a good spot mentally uh, for the home stretch of the college football season. You know, Matt, one last thought here on injuries, and we didn't talk about this in our pre-show, but I think it's like, what, what is, I, I must say, I'm a little bit worried about CJ Verdell, not long-term in terms of like him missing the full season or anything, but like, he's now missed the second half in, I think, three of the last five games, which is a really big, I mean, that's a significant number. And, and last year he did that as well. I know at least, I remember he missed the second half at Cal. I think he might have missed the second half at Utah or Washington State. I think one of those road games he was also dinged up, but, um, it, it just seems like that's sort of becoming one of the few things that kind of skits in his way from, you know, exploding into, you know, one of the conferences. And he already is one of the conference's best running backs, but to really cementing himself there. I mean, he was leading the conference in rushing going into the USC game, and then he only had 12 yards um, in six carries because he couldn't play, you know, after midway through the second quarter. I, I, I know Cristobal mentioned it a little bit. He said it's part of football. You move on. You support the guys. You know, it's, it's a physical game. Um, but like, do you share those concerns like I do? Because you're, you're talking about arguably, I don't know what you would say, one of the three or four most important pieces of the offense being somebody that like, not to say he's not reliable, but from a physical perspective, you kind of are uncertain each week if he can even play the full four quarters. Yeah, you it it's becoming a bigger concern without a doubt. There's no way you can avoid that. And you know, Cristobal's answer it, it was the right answer and. I understand where he's coming from and, and he can't go out and say, Oh yeah, it's a concern. You know, our player just can't stay healthy. Like that, that right. would not be received well at all. Like if he came out and, and said that, but the reality is, is Verdell's what four games this season, he's had to miss a half of football because of injury. That's a concern. I mean, that, that equates out to two full games. He's missed because of injury. He dealt with injuries last year. He missed all of his redshirt freshman season um, because of an injury. So, yeah, like, I, 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 there's going to be some kind of concern here. Now, the question just becomes, do you have enough pieces behind him to make sure you get yourself in a position where you can survive an injury to, to a Verdell and survive uh, a, a half in which Verdell can't play? I think Oregon's there. Um, I, I, I think we've seen Cyrus kind of uh, – Evolve a little bit and, and turn into a really good player for this group down the, down the season. Um, Die has had his moments as well. Uh, 100% he's had he's had good moments. Um, but I, I I think it it's a concern in some capacity. Can Oregon get by the season 
as it's gone throughout? Yes, absolutely they can. I, I, and I think they will. Um, how do you fix it? I don't know if there is an answer because sometimes, unfortunately, there's just guys that are plagued with bad luck with injuries. And yeah. Verdell's a guy that, you know, in his career, whether he wants to like, he likes it or not, or whether Cristobal likes it or not, he just has to battle injuries every year. And that doesn't mean he can't be an effective player, but it just means you need to have an effective backup because more often than not, he's going to get hurt and something's going to happen and you're going to need a backup. And I think this bye week probably finds him most more valuable than just about anybody on the team in terms of if it's a nagging injury, just to have, you know, 10, 11, 12 days where he's not forced to be out there taking, you know, taking a beating. Um, that has to be significant for, for him and his body. So I think this is a, a big week for, for him in terms of getting healthy and, and going forward. I think the hope is just like, let's see if he can, I mean, I think the goal has to be, let's see if he can get these last three regular season games and play start to finish. I mean, I think that has to be the hope. And uh, again, we haven't seen that that much in conference play. I mean, the majority, or I think 50% of the conference games he's, he's appeared in, uh, he's, he's missed a half of football. So uh, it's certainly something I think to be aware of and, and keep an eye on. All right, let's take a quick break. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast old man winter here if i had it my way it would stay winter all year long short days wind chill black ice and a good polar vortex (laughs) heaven Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Matt Premier, Scopel, 
let's go into we, – we were discussing kind of like what, what can we talk about that's bi-week centric but at the same time something that, that can kind of recap the entire year. And we're going to go through our position groups and just kind of nine games in, who's been the guy at that group? I think there's some ones that are pretty obvious. I think there's some ones that are going to have a ton of debate. Um, and then we'll also throw in a couple names that could fight their way into this position group. We'll start with quarterback. Eric, I'm going to speak for you and I on this one. You don't have to give your opinion. I'm telling you what to do. Okay. Uh, it's Justin Herbert. There's nothing about nothing wrong with Tyler Shuck, but Herbert's impact on this team is monumental, and it, it doesn't really even need to be explained. Uh, who do you got at running back? Well, to, to be fair, Tyler Shuck does have a better quarterback uh, rating right Stop now. It. Through Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. He's 12 for 15 for 144 yards. Is there a QB bet? No, uh, no I, I, I can't even go down the road. But I, I do think you, have, you do have to be happy with what Shuck has shown in, in limited moments, but obviously. Uh, at running back, it has to be C.J. Verdell. Um, and, but I'll preview my, my later pick, you know, kind of piggybacking off of what we were just talking about before the break. Like, if he – he's clearly been the most impactful running back. I don't – you know, and I think – Cyrus has had his moments. Travis has had his moments. But if he if it becomes a thing here where you just can't rely on him to play four quarters, I'm not saying his job's up for grabs, but there's going to be someone else who becomes just as valuable, if not more valuable. Because the way Oregon is winning these games, and a couple of these games, Oregon was trailing late and, and was throwing the football, so it's not like they needed to rely on him to run it and run it and run it. But the way Oregon is going to win, win some of these games, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the second half to just be pounding the football because I expect they're going to be up two, three, four touchdowns, maybe more than that. Um, if he's not available for some of that that run, uh, that's going to open the door for a Cyrus or a Travis, a Travis Diver or maybe even a Darian Felix, who I thought was actually really effective at USC after not really playing in, in about a month, so uh, or at least not playing as a running back and, and carrying the football. So uh, it's clearly C.J. Verdell right now. Uh, he's leading the team in rushing with 765 yards. He's second behind Cyrus in touchdowns with five. Cyrus has six. He has, you know, one thing that's been interesting kind of looking at his stats this season, he's not quite been the receiving back that I expected. Yeah, um, yeah. 13 catches, 122 yards. Coming into the season, I, I had a prediction that he'd have more than 2,000 all-purpose yards because I was thinking it was possible he'd get to maybe five or 600 yards receiving and he'd have 1,500 yards rushing. Well, I, I don't think he's going to get to 1,500 rushing, 1,500 yards rushing and certainly isn't going to get to 500 or 600 yards receiving, considering he's only at 122 right now. There's only three games guaranteed, but we know Oregon's probably going to end up playing five, possibly six, if they sneak into that college football playoff and win a game. But uh, he's the guy for sure in my mind. But there's just there's just things that you still want to see from him, and I'm not trying to bag on him at all because I think he's performed at a really high level when he's been healthy. I just think that has to be something you're you're kind of aware and concerned of. Yeah, I would pick C.J. Verdell as well. Um, I think he's. I think I think when he's healthy, going away, he's he's the best of the bunch. Absolutely. And, and I don't think it's really even close. Receiver. This could go in a bunch of different directions. Do you project what's going to happen the next couple of games? Do you look at what's happened the first half of the season? Do you look at what's kind of happened from week three to week nine for Oregon football? Um, a lot of options here. Uh, I, I, I'm going with Jalen Redd. I think he leads the team in touchdowns, receptions with seven. He's got two rushing touchdowns to his name as well. He's not the leader in receiving yards. I think he's second in receiving uh, receptions. Uh, but he's he's turned himself. I'm really, really surprised by 
Jalen Red. And I thought he was going to be a guy that was going to just kind of be a complimentary piece yeah. um, in the receiving core this season. And he's kind of turned into the guy. Like, like obviously they've got a couple other guys that can make big plays, but it seems like every game Red is making three or four or five just momentum-changing plays, whether that's a block, whether that's a run, whether that's a catch, anything. He's just out there making plays. So I'm, I'm going to go with Jalen Red. Yeah, Jalen Red. I, I, I think I'll, I'll also land there, although I think Johnny Johnson, and I know his numbers haven't been good the last couple of weeks. He's kind of maybe lost some production with Jawan Johnson stepping in. And Jawan Johnson would be another pick if he'd play more games. But uh, Johnny had played at a very high level. He actually has more receiving yards than Jalen Red, even though he has eight less receptions. But, uh, yeah, J- Jalen Red's become, like, his game is almost an extension of the running game at this point. And he it makes sense. He was running back in high school. He kind of has that uh, that same sort of skill set. But they use him so much in the screen game, and it would be interesting yeah. to go back and look. He has 39 receptions this year. I bet you like 20 of those, or, or pretty like close to half of those, are on screen passes. And I bet you, aside from twice, I can think where he caught the ball with his knee on the turf. Um, if you take those out, I bet you he's averaging like 10 to 12 yards per screen catch. You know what I mean? It's like he's he's been so dynamic. And honestly, like I, I'm having a hard time thinking of a receiver, maybe like a Braylon Addison a handful of years ago, or a Josh Huff. Um, who is so dynamic in the screen game. Uh, and, and you're right. I, I think he's he's the pick for me, too. The seven touchdowns are pretty easy. Uh, clearly kind of the guy. I mean, it's strange as a five foot eight guy to be the kind of the touchdown machine, but that's kind of what he is. It's, it's, honestly, his receiving stat line is weird. 39 catches, 352 yards. That's just a nine uh, yards per catch average, but seven touchdowns. And then, you, like you said, you throw in the two rushing touchdowns. He's got more touchdowns than anyone else on this team right now. So uh, I think he's the pick, but I, I also think that's a thing where we're going to preview it later. We said, you know, later in the show, we're going to talk about some guys that could make their way onto this list. I think wide receivers are a spot where he's certainly susceptible to getting passed by one of these other guys. Tight end. Do we want to include tight end with receivers or, or no? Let's just make it quick and say, it's, I think it's still Jacob Breland, even though he's not played the last three games, um, three, three and a half games. He's still, I mean, it's pretty remarkable. He's played six games and he still has more receiving yards than anyone else on the team. Uh, he, he was such a huge part of this season and, uh, yeah, so let's just, I'll keep it quick there. I, I think Breland still gets that, uh, that, that role. I think Hunter Cantmore has been great blocking. Ryan Bay has been great blocking. Spencer Webb is, is actually fourth in the team in receiving, uh, right now, but, uh, it's still, I think it's still Jacob Breland's job and it's, it's, it's one of those things where maybe it gets lost in the shuffle of how valuable he was because Oregon's continued to win football games, but, uh, I think we're going to look back at this season at the end and go, man, if, if Breland was healthy, he could have had an incredibly special, special senior season, especially statistically, because he was on pace for, gosh, for probably close to a thousand yards and over ten touchdowns this yep. season before before the knee injury. Uh, I agree with you. Offensive line, I'll speak for both of us. Penny Sewell, uh, are you objecting to that? No, this I, I'm, I'm realizing as we're running through this, the offense was pretty freaking easy. Yes. there's not there's not a lot of room for debate because. Yeah, I mean Sewell's the best offensive tackle in the country. Like, he might, yeah, just, he might be, yeah, like, he's probably the best offensive lineman in the country. So it's hard, it's hard to say he's not the best on the team. <laughs> yeah, so that 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 one was extremely easy uh, to pick as well. Now on the defensive side of the football, D line, linebacker, DB, special teams. Uh, this is where I th- I think there's going to be a lot of options. D line was I was kind of struggling with this one. Because I think 
I picked Jordan Scott. I I think he's the good the in a good spot, but at the same time, a guy like Drayton Kralberg has done a really yeah. good job. Um, I I look at a couple other guys out there and think you could make cases for them. Um, and people are going to look at Jordan Scott and, and, and go, well, how, how are you picking Jordan Scott? He's only got 17 tackles and two and a half tackles for loss this season. Like what, what, what are you seeing there? Like that's not his position. He, if he's making tackles, he's not doing his job or he's an all American or, or, or he's like a hall of fame level guy because his job is to demand offensive lines to double team, triple team, and take up blockers, collapse pockets, and force the ball into the direction that the defense wants it to go. That's his job. He he plays a position in which it's extremely difficult to, to get statistics. And when yeah. he does, it either, either means he's not doing his job, or B, he's just so, so good uh, it, it's, he's, he's operating at an insane level. And I'm not saying, do, I'm not saying Scott's not performing well because he's not making tackles. He's really, really good. He, he might be an all conference player, uh, first or second team. Uh, so I, I'm gonna pick Jordan Scott. Yeah. And actually looking at the stats, he has more tackles than any other defensive lineman on the team. So he, he is good there. I will go a different, and I, I just think Drayton Carberg has been, just a really, I don't want to say he's been a surprise because we started, he started coming on at the end of last season too, but he, he's made some really, really big plays. You think back to that USC game, he gets the sack that, uh, knocks the ball loose from Slovis and Reddy Breeze picks it up. That was a momentum switching play. He has had plays like that in other times this season, not necessarily forcing fumbles, but just coming up with timely sacks, timely tackles for loss. Um, coming into the season, I think we knew it was going to be kind of a fight between him and Austin Folio and Folio, we should mention, had kind of been probably the better player for the past couple of years. While you came yeah. in, he's a couple years younger than Carberg, kind of immediately, I don't want to say jumped him on the depth chart, but was immediately kind of ahead of him a little bit. Um, Carberg, this season, has been the better player between the two. Uh, you know, and it's not fair to just compare those guys necessarily, but they play similar positions. Oh, their stats are, their, their stats are way different. I mean, you, you look at the, the, the just the tackles and you're like, oh, they're, they're similar. Carberg has 15 and Folio has 14. But dig deeper, and Kahlberg has four and a half tackles for loss. Folio has one. Kahlberg has three sacks. Folio has zero. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I just, I just think Kahlberg. He's almost one of those guys that gets kind of lost in the shuffle because Jordan Scott's a household name. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau, who we, we should also mention, deserves some consideration for this. He's got, you know, he's got more tackles for loss than any defensive lineman. He's got more sacks than any defensive lineman. Um, this season, but uh, Carberg's not maybe the name that everybody knows because he's a senior. He's not a player who is necessarily flashy, but he's been a huge, huge steadying presence for this group. So that's my pick and somebody who I think once again, kind of like Gus Cumberlander, you know, and, and Bryson Young, a guy we might mention in a second for the linebacker spot, just a guy who his career started off kind of rocky, pretty slow, wasn't a huge contributor, but kind of stick with it. And those are my, kind of my favorite kind of guys where, where maybe it isn't perfect right away. Maybe there's some adversity to get onto the field, but once they do, they make the most of it. So a, a lot of credit to Carlberg for, for being somebody who, again, he's a senior this year. He's been in the program for a really long time. He wasn't necessarily a big contributor early, but this year I think his presence has been, has really been felt and he's been really a critical part of that group up front. All right. Linebacker. Um, I'm going to pick Troy Dye. 
He leads the team in tackles with 42. He's got six and a half tackles for loss. He's got a sack, an interception, three passes defended. But, but, Isaac Slade yeah. has played tremendously uh, this season. And he is third in the team in tackles and almost has just as many ta- uh His stats are almost identical. He has 39 to 42 tackles. He has 39 tackles to die is 42. He has six tackles for loss to die six and a half. He has one sack to die is one sack. Doesn't have an interception, but passes defended. Isaac has six compared to die's three. Seven. Seven. Okay. Seven. Sorry, Sorry. I'm just looking it up. And and that's actually, I I hadn't realized this. He's tied for the team lead in pass breaks up as an inside linebacker. That's pretty impressive. So I, I, I give it to die, but I, I was so close giving it to, to Slade. Same, same here. I'll, I, I will pick it for the same. We should also mention Dye didn't play against Washington State, so there's sure. one fewer game there. Um, so his statistics are, and, and, and I think it's hard because Troy Dye still leads the team in tackles, but, and I wrote about this a little bit earlier in the week. Statistically, he's not anywhere near where he's been in his career. I mean, he's a, he had over 90 tackles his first three years at Oregon, over 100 the last two. Entering the season, one of the storylines we had was he could actually catch Tom Graham for the all-time tackles list. He had to get like 120 tackles to do that. He's not going to get anywhere close to that. He's got 42 right now through nine games. And they're Oregon, again, Oregon has four to, four to six games remaining likely. Um, uh, maybe he gets close to 80, 85, you know, if he really picks it up, but his production has been down. So I don't, I don't want to, He's still clearly the heart and soul of this defense. I don't think there's any question about that. And even if it's, even if it's his worst statistical season, I don't think he can diminish his contributions on the field as a, as a leader, um, you know, and, and somebody who does make a lot of really big plays. But Isaac Slade deserves credit. Another guy who deserves some credit is, is Samson New coming off the bench. He's seventh on the team in tackles with 29. Uh, he's made a lot of plays. And even Bryson Young, I mentioned his name earlier. Another guy kind of like uh, Drayton Carlberg, who's just – really elevated his game as a senior. He leads the team in, in quarterback hits. You know, he doesn't – it's pretty wild. He uh, he doesn't have a sack all season, but he has five quarterback hits. So he's just been so close all year to getting there. Um, I think he'll get there at some point, but uh, that's another player who I think deserves some some mention. All right, DB. Um, I had – we were talking about the names off the air. I had this broken up into two spots, so – I already have one of my three guys because I had to, had to eliminate one position. Um, I'm going to go Javon Holland with DB. I think he is operating at a level in which he's going to be an all-conference player. I think uh, Holland is also going to be into the discussion for an All-American status. You know, He's got 39 tackles. He's tied for second with Isaac Slade. Uh, he has two and a half tackles for loss. He's got four interceptions. He scored a touchdown. He's defended a ton of passes this season. Um, Holland has, has gone from a freshman All-American that was going into his sophomore year as maybe the third best DB, uh, in, in Oregon starting lineup to, I think, the best defensive back in, uh, Oregon's defense. And in which I wondered, I think out during the Washington State game, like, is he maybe the best guy on the defense? I, I think you could make that argument. Yeah, no, it, it, it's really close here. Uh, and I'm with you. I, I think Javon Holland's the pick um, for a lot of the reasons you said. But, like, Thomas Graham and Diomde Lenore on the outside, uh, outside of 
you know, moments against Washington State or, or maybe moments against Washington. I know Graham got beat deep on a touchdown and Lenore missed the second half of that game, so it's unfair to really criticize him for, for anything there. But um, those guys have been really steady on the outside, and they play physical sometimes, at least the penalties. Sometimes those penalties are ridiculous, but um, those guys have played at such a high level. And then you can't ignore Verone McKinley either. I mean, and, and this has been... He's the one that, like, probably is honestly on the quick, the fastest trajectory up because start of the season, I mean, not to be too critical and blame the entire Auburn game on him, but like, he was the player who got beat on the last touchdown, and you kind of going like, oh boy, is he is he just clearly the weak point in this defensive backfield? Like, is he clearly the guy that is like kind of like maybe they have to find another replacement at point this season? And the answer has been no. He has more interceptions than uh, anybody on the team besides Javon Holland. He has four. He's Near the top of the leaderboard in tackles, he's uh, he played at such a high level. And then you have a guy like Brady Breeze and Nick Pickett, who are Pickett's fifth on the team in tackles, has done so quietly. Brady Breeze is eighth, or ninth, sorry, just a couple behind him. And Brady Breeze was just a Pac-12 defensive player of the week last week, and he's a, basically a backup safety at Oregon. So uh, this defensive backfield is really, really talented. You could pick one of five or six guys and probably feel pretty good about your pick. But I agree, Javon Holland is, 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 is I think, the choice and – it's close, but I think his ceiling is so, so high. And, and you have to be really happy with, with just the caliber of defensive backs. You know, Keith Hayward and, and Dante Williams is earned, I don't know, say, I'm not sure if we've given them enough credit this year or, or, or spoke their praise highly enough because they've, this is an incredibly, incredibly talented defensive backfield and they're going to lead the, the country uh, as a team in, in uh, interceptions forced. They haven't given up a whole lot of receiving touchdowns. Um, it's a really, really talented group and one that, Hey, you look at the the eligibility remaining. Technically, all of them could come back next year, and you'd be looking at once again just an incredibly talented defensive backfield. All right, special teams. I'm going to give a name that I think is going to make you go wow. Oh. Uh, I I think there's a lot of out options out here. You you could go um, Javon Holland with his punts, punt returns, ten ten returns for 203 yards, really good average there. Um, I think you could make a case. Uh, you know, Dye's done well, 12 kickoff returns for 257. You know, Mikel Wright has taken his job because he's so good. Uh, four returns for 180 yards and a touchdown, most notably at USC. You could also go Camden Lewis, you know, started off rocky, 100% started off rocky, uh, with his kicking and field goals, but he's made five straight, including a game winner. You could even go Blake Maybone at punting. You know, he's averaging 43, almost 44 yards. He's been pretty good, uh, consistent all year. I'm going to go Daywood Davis, though. I knew it. I, fi- I, I figured you were going that way when you were running down all the other guys. Yeah, no, that's a good pick, though, Matt. Keep going. I, I, I think, you know, Daywood had, had a couple big blocks against the Washington game to, to, to spring some big kickoff returns. He was on that, he was as one of the lead blockers for Michael Wright's touchdown. He was one of the lead blockers for Malakiel Wright's um, return against Washington State to, win, to start the game-winning drive. Uh, and on top of that, he's on punt coverage. He's on kickoff coverage. He makes plays in both of those. I think Daywood Davis is the special teams player of the year through nine games for Oregon, even though he doesn't return kicks, even though he doesn't return punts, and he doesn't kick field goals. We should say he did return a kick at the end of the Auburn game, which actually yes, they almost won because of it. And, you know, if Oregon, if Justin Herbert throws that ball somewhere near a receiver and not, in, you know, almost into the stands, uh, David Davis is being talked about as the person that kind of saved that game because he, 
he almost broke that thing. I was a 33-yard return that got the ball out to midfield because Auburn had a celebration penalty for 15 yards. So I think that's a good pick, and that's a sneaky pick. I'm going, uh, I'm going Camden Lewis. I know that's like maybe that's just the flavor of the month pick, but you look at the guys on this team. Like he's the only one who you could definitively say has has won Oregon a football game, right? Uh, if he doesn't make that field goal, they lose to Washington State. If he doesn't make any of those three field goal attempts. Uh, they lose to Washington State. Um, I, I, he's 38 of 39 on extra points, which is very solid. Obviously, you, you want to be 100%, but he's one off from being there. Um, I know there's still a ton of question marks on him, and I'm not going to say he's a lock to be this guy all year, but and maybe it's just because the Washington State game is still pretty fresh in my mind. But Oregon is a different. Oregon's not in the position to possibly make a college football playoff uh, if not for for Lewis making that 26 yard kick in the closing seconds against Wazoo. All right, now three guys that could make the list. I'll give you three. You can give me your three. I think Jawan Johnson at receiver is one. Seeing the impact he had against Washington State and then obviously against USC, I think we're in a position where we might see a really big performance from him down the stretch uh, for Oregon in the three regular season games, the conference championship game, the bowl game, whatever comes out after that. Um so I'm going to say Jawan Johnson could could push his way in at receiver. Uh, I'm going to put KT at defensive end. I think he he's starting to, to come along against USC. He was very close, like four or five times to getting sacks. Yeah. He tipped a ball on, Bra- on Brady Breeze's interception. Um, he's close. I think we might see him kind of explode from a production standpoint uh, in the last three games of the regular season. And then I'm also going to throw Verone McKinley at safety. I think Verone might be the biggest, like, whoa, where did he come from? Uh, you know, development from everybody on of this group. We knew Herbert was good. Verdell was a leading rusher last season. Jalen Red was a starter last year and was the leading receiver for, du- for the Ducks coming in to the season. Jacob Berlin is a three-year starter at tight end. Penny Sewell, we knew all about him. Jordan Scott, same thing. Troy Dye, same thing. Even Javon Holland was an All-American as a freshman last year. So I think Verone McKinley, like, he has elevated himself where he's now the starting safety for Oregon. And you look at the tackles, he's sixth in the team in tackles with 33. He's tied uh, with with Holland for interceptions with four, which I think is the conference lead. He's he's everywhere. I mean, he's turned himself a guy that in which I thought was just going to be another guy. When he signed up, when he signed with Oregon, oh, he'll redshirt. Maybe he'll play a couple games as a redshirt freshman. Maybe he'll get on the special teams as a sophomore. And by his junior year, he'll maybe be either uh, a starter or he'll be a rotation guy uh, in the secondary. He has far exceeded my expectations, and he's turned himself into a really, really good football player. Uh, and I, I think he might push his way into the secondary role. Well, I'm going to co-sign the first two. I do think Jawan Johnson is is absolutely a guy who at receiver looks like a star in the making. And, and the last game against USC, that was the best individual receiving game we've seen all season for a receiver by far. Probably the best for an Oregon player by you know by a little bit. I think Breland had two touchdowns against Stanford in a really big game. Had some other big games early on the season as well. But uh, Johnson's got a huge ceiling. And, and Thibodeau is the same thing. We're starting to see him come together here. He's getting a ton of snaps, you know, and, and DJ Johnson. We should say both those guys played really well at USC. Um, the third one, Ron McKinley is another good pick, Matt. I, I, I thought about that one, you know, long and hard. It, it, it makes 
I think, a ton of sense to go that route. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I also think, like, I'm concerned about, and I mentioned it earlier, I'm a little concerned about Verdell and just his health going forward. And if he can't finish out football games, I think we could see one of these other running backs step up. And I'm going to pick Cyrus Abibulikio. I know he didn't play much against USC. Um, I, I know he was dealing with injury there. I still think what we saw out against Washington was arguably one of the you know top two or three performances of the season from an Oregon running back, just considering what it meant. Um, he's still got the guy they go to around the goal line. I don't think he's going to catch Verdell statistically. I mean, he's 500 yards behind him. That's pretty much impossible unless Verdell doesn't play at all the rest of the season and, and Cyrus takes over the leading job, which I don't think there's any sense that that's what's going to happen. But uh, I, I, I kind of think that just because of the, in, the uncertainty with Verdell and kind of if he can continue to finish football games, you have to consider one of these other running backs. And, and I like Cyrus just in terms of what we've seen this season. I also really like Travis Dye. If he can hang on to the football and not fumble it, we, you know, he coughed it up a couple times against Cal. It's been a much more, um, hasn't fumbled it since. Uh, he's someone else to keep an eye on. It's kind of crazy that Travis Dye has touched the ball like 85 times without a touchdown this season. I can't imagine uh, that that, that holding through. Yeah, I just can't see that holding on, so. Yeah, interesting names there. I mean, the running back one, I quite honestly, I just, I didn't factor in the injury bug. I, I, I just didn't, and I probably should have. Um, you bring up really good points there. So, I, I, I certainly think there's plenty. You've made a case. I've made a case. There's plenty of opportunities for some guys to kind of get themselves into it. Um, we'll see if it comes true. Oregon returns to full regular scheduled programming for football next week. They have media availability with Mario Cristobal on Monday, Tuesday offense, Wednesday defense, and then a couple days later, another night game, 7.30 kickoff Saturday night at Austin Stadium, second to last home game of the season, taking on the Arizona Wildcats. For Scopel, myself, Matt Bram, thanks for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Adios, amigos. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.